Hello, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School from Los Angeles, California. My name is Michael Benner, your host for this and every program that we do on personal and spiritual development. First 20 minutes of these premium audio programs is podcast freely around the world. If at any time you would like to subscribe and enroll, either in a single class or for a reduced rate, a series of programs, visit our primary website, theagelesswisdom.com. And the word the, T-H-E, is part of the URL. So theagelesswisdom.com. Just Click on Podcasts and Premium Audio Training, and you'll be able to sign up with PayPal for a single program, which would be the upcoming program or a series of programs, just like a magazine subscription. I want to remind you, as I did a few weeks ago, that I also do private work. I don't mention this too often, but I do have some openings, and whether you're in the Southern California area and would like to do it private and one-on-one, or wherever you may be in the world. I have clients that I've talked to over the phone from every continent. And in any event, there's no reason we can't do that wherever you happen to live. And we'll tailor a program to fit you, meet your needs, whether it's counseling, training, coaching, psychological, philosophical, personal issue, or maybe you're more interested in spiritual development than personal development, whether you have a specific issue that you want to work on or a general approach to personal development, learning practical and portable tools and techniques, let me know. Email me at my initials, MB, like Michael Benner, MB at theagelesswisdom.com. Or if you'd like to call, leave a message anytime, 24-7 at 818-569-3017. The email address again, MB, like Mary Baker, Michael Benner, just MB at theagelesswisdom.com or a voice message any time of the day or night at 818-569-3017. Leave your telephone number and or email address, and I'll get back to you. And I do offer a free intake session. We'll do about 20 minutes on the phone, and you tell me what you're looking for. I'll tell you how I think I might be able to help you. And if we think we can put something together, we'll do it at that point, tailored, customized to fit your particular interests and needs. All right. Today we're going to compare and contrast the world's major religions, by breaking them into two main categories. This is sort of East meets West, monism versus monotheism. I'll also talk a little bit about pantheism and how it's different from panentheism. So we'll define some terms here at the top. We'll try and get the basics in during the first 20 minutes of this program, which is podcast freely around the world. And then for the extended program, the full program, which runs around 90 minutes, you can enroll at our primary website for a single program or a series. Just go to, again, the w's.theagelesswisdom.com. So let's begin with defining some terms. First of all, what is monism and what is monotheism? 
Let's do monotheism first, as the bulk of my listeners are in America and Europe and are more likely to be Abrahamic, that is, Jewish, Christian, or Muslim. And these are the monotheistic religions. So this is your Ballywick. This is what we've been raised in, culturally resaturated with the idea that the Creator lives outside its creation. All right? God is in heaven, and we're down here in the physical plane on earth or somewhere in the stars and the galaxies in the material universe. Notice the word matter, mater, or madre, is mother. And so the physical realm is the material realm, the physical dense plane, and this is Mother Earth, Mother Matter. And the spiritual end of that energy mass spectrum is the father aspect. But only so far as that allegory goes, spirit and matter, having a kind of a gender in its polarity, the yin and yang of Chinese polarity is similarly positive and negative, that is gender-based, masculine and feminine, or sometimes referred to as light and dark. So spirit and matter as father and mother is an ancient concept. Be not confused, however, anyone with just a little bit of spiritual awareness is going to recognize that spirit cannot be less than all that is. And so it would have to be God, goddess, all that is, male and female, transcending any sense of gender. It's just this teaching allegory when we talk about the polarity of spirit and matter, the creator and its creation, that we get into the idea of God as a male and nature, the physical dense world as female. I think that's an important concept. Now, when I say that the creator in monotheism lives outside its creation and therefore is dualistic by its very nature, I always get pushback from people that say, oh, that's not true. In Judaism, in Christianity, in Islam as well, we have the idea that God is present in all things. God is everywhere. God is not separated. And I would say, yes, I understand that's part of the contradiction of religion. But keep in mind, if you really believed that, then you'd be pantheists. And Jews and Christians and Muslims, by and large, reject pantheism. Pantheism used to be called paganism. It's nature worship. It's the idea that everything is sacred and divine because everything is God. God manifests itself not only as human beings made in its image, made in his image, but as animals and plants and flowers and sky and rocks and clouds and water, rivers and ocean. And again, monotheists. Jews, Christians, and Muslims generally say, hold on here, well, hold on. That's not true. Animals don't have souls. Animals are not made in the image of God, much less rocks. There's nothing divine about a rock. The 
poured out of the top of a volcano with lava, and yet mystical cultures, pantheist cultures, do see it that way. Everything is divine. Everything is sacred. There's nothing that is not a manifestation of the Most High. So that's the definition of pantheism. God as nature. Nature is divine. God is in all things. And so while it's true that many Jews, Christians, and Muslims, monotheists, will say God is everywhere and God is in all things and God is closer than your own breath or your heartbeat, they really do not accept the pantheist idea of God expressing itself not only as humans, but as all that exists in physical dense, whether it's alive in the organic sense, moving and reproducing, or something inanimate, supposedly inorganic, like rocks and water and sky and intergalactic dust and what have you. Okay, So that's monotheism, dualistic by definition, the creator separate from its creation. Again, we can get into, especially in Christianity, the idea of Holy Spirit being in all things. Uh, we can talk about uh, Christ playing this middle role as personal Savior. We can talk about the admonition that the kingdom is within each of us and that we're all sons of the Most High. But you have to admit, if you're going to reject pantheism, then these are fine points to be debated and argued over. And perhaps that's why we have Catholic and Protestant in dozens and dozens and dozens of forms. Judaism, we have like four basic divisions of Judaism. There's Orthodox and Conservative and Reformed and Hasidic. And within those divisions, many disagreements. And that's as it should be. And also, the split between the Sunni and the Shia in Islam is quite well known. And in each case, we're willing to go to war, not just the Sunni and the Shia, but remember the Catholics and the Protestants in Ireland killing each other because they didn't love Jesus in quite the right way. Monism, on the other hand, is largely the purview of Eastern religions. Uh, Hinduism is less a religion than an aggregation of countless religions. Hindu, Hinduism is really an English word that the British put on what they didn't really understand. India used to be called Hindustan. And I'm sure you know the story of how it got to be called India and then Columbus discovered America and called the indigenous people of North America and South America Indians. Well, that was Hindustan. And so all of their religions, Brahmanism is an ancient form of what's called Hinduism, based on these really old holy books, the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads, Patanjali's, some people say Patanjali's, uh, Yoga Sutras, and the ancient wisdom of the Far East. Out of Hinduism, so-called, comes Buddhism. 
about 2,500 years ago, 500 years before the current era. And spinning off that, we have Jainism and Sikhism. Uh, Chinese Taoism is very similar. Uh, Confucianism, also Chinese, is largely a collection of folk wisdom and wise adages and sayings and saws. But it also tends to embrace the ancient wisdom known as Taoism, which as I say, is very close to Buddhism. So you will find many, many temples in Asia with multiple icons. You go in and here's Buddha and Krishna in the same temple. And some of the same symbols, like the Om symbol, uh, Sikhs, Jans, Buddhists, Hindus, all revere the Om symbol. They all use a rosary or a set of beads containing 108 beads that they use in similar ways. So there's a lot of overlap and, of course, some pretty significant differences as well in these monistic religions of the East. Now, how is monism different from monotheism since both obviously have this prefix mono, meaning one, like una in universe, the one, Cosmos. Monism is less about a being living a separated existence above and free of form, having created its physical creation from afar. It's much more in the present moment, dismissing the idea that there even is a past or a future just the rhythm of the in-breath and the out-breath, the rhythm of the cycles of life, the seasons of life. We see an awareness of this in monotheism as well. But it really predominates in monism, the idea that there is only the eternal and infinite moment, that time is an illusion, but rhythm is real. It's got a in-breath and an out-breath to it, you know, the tides and the seasons and so on and so forth. But the primary difference with monism is that divinity is less a being than it is awareness or consciousness. And these words are capitalized. Like the word absolute in the West, when it's used to mean divinity Absolute can be, in Western philosophy, often is used to refer to a divinity, a unified source that is not a being, not anthropomorphized as a man-shaped superhero, older guy with robes on a cloud. I mean, it wasn't until the Renaissance era that... God the Father was painted or sculpted, most notably by Michelangelo in the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, reaching out to Adam. Well, that would have been heresy just a few years before that. And there were sculptures that were made that represented God the Father 
in the 13th, 14th century. I think as early as the 12th century. But before that, it would have been absolute blasphemy and heresy to portray the father aspect of God in form as an icon. That's one of the commandments, to have no false gods before me. So that's an issue even today. You'll notice Jewish temples and Islamic mosques have no paintings, no statues, no frescoes, no icons in them. But Catholic and Protestant churches are filled with stained glass and ceilings are painted and frescoes, wall hangings. It's all very beautiful, very nice, but it usually comes with a training where you're taught that these are not divine. They're only designed to remind you of an invisible divinity beyond the veil. Be that as it may, monists view divinity as awareness or consciousness that exists as an infinite and eternal magnetic field, a field, as I say, of awareness, consciousness, or capital L, love, that is not only magnetic, but redemptive. This is a concept shared by monotheism as well, that love changes things, it uplifts, it it saves, particularly in the form of accepting Christ as Savior. But in the East, it's love as awareness that redeems and saves. And the goal is not to redeem a soul that's been stained by the original sin of Eve eating the apple. The goal in monism is expanded awareness or higher consciousness to attain nirvana or enlightenment, God consciousness. In both cases, monotheism of the West and the monism of the East, although obviously I don't want to overstate this, I am generalizing and we all understand that every religion is found everywhere in the world to some extent, to some degree. But it wasn't that long ago that it was much more isolated than it is now. So when they talk about the monotheism of the West and the Middle East and the monism of Asia, you'll understand I'm talking mostly about how these religions evolved in terms of the two hemispheres of the world. So that's the basic difference. Monotheism simply said, and there are dangers in being too simplistic with this, but we got to start somewhere. The monotheism of the Abrahamic religions is dualistic by definition, with the creator existing, for the most part, outside of its creation. For to live within its creation would be pantheism, which is blasphemy. The church, Catholic church, and Protestants as well have declared pantheism blasphemy. They spit the word out. It's paganism, it's evil, it's satanic, it's... You'll burn in hell if you believe that everything is divine, that God is nature. So say what you want about God is everywhere, God is in everything. That's different from everything is divine, everything is God, you see. And then the monism of the East, generally speaking, is this everywhere equally present magnetic field of love, awareness, or consciousness that is available to us if we learn to relax, align ourselves with it, open ourselves to it, 
and develop the internal esoteric wiring, so to speak, to be uplifted by this magnetic force to an elevated perspective, a higher consciousness or expanded awareness of the divinity within each and every one of us. Indeed, the Eastern greeting, Namaste, is basically, I am looking past your persona nature, the appearance of you as an individual, separate and unique, to the God within, and I greet the divinity within you. And having folded your hands and bowed gently and said Namaste, now you go on about your business as the two personalities in the marketplace or whatever. While this too is a generality, I think it's safe to say that people who are knowledgeable about the various monistic religions, Hinduism and Buddhism, Sikhism, Jainism, Taoism, know more about the Western religions than vice versa. And there is a belief among many Westerners and Middle Easterners that these religions are all polytheistic because they have so many deities and demigods and manifestations or aspects of this one life. Said simply, there is Brahma or Brahman, the idea of an ultimate oneness, the totality of all things. And then there is the Atman, and these are esoteric concepts for the Atman is the universal soul. Many Eastern religions, Buddhism, for example, do not really believe in a soul or a middle ground between spirit and matter. And yet it's paradoxical because if, as many forms of Buddhism teach, there is no soul, then what is it that's collecting karma and reincarnating? Well, it's an aspect of the Atman or the universal soul. And again, they're like wheels within wheels or circles within circles. Or maybe you could think of the famous Russian nesting dolls where you have a doll within a doll within a doll within a doll. And again, it is esoteric, and it takes some study to begin to understand the role then of Krishna and Arjuna in these ancient stories and the other gods and goddesses and daughters. It's very reminiscent of the Greco-Roman pantheons of gods, where you have some gods like Zeus and Apollo that are more regal and more godly than the lesser gods and their sons, and then they mated with mortals. and So you have a whole hierarchy of gods in both the Greek and the Roman pantheon, and you see that in the ancient wisdom teachings of the East as well. But I want you to have some exposure to the difference, most fundamentally, between monotheism, creator creation, and monism, this magnetic field of, of awareness. And from there, an understanding of the difference between salvation and enlightenment. And finally, the word panentheism, as we go into the extended version of this program, 
I'll talk more about this. But we've already said pantheism, which used to be called paganism, and is still thought of as satanic by the fundamentalists in Christian religion. Paganism or pantheism is God is in nature. Panentheism, with that extra syllable en, panentheism, is a mystical definition that takes pantheism one step further. Panentheism is pantheism plus the reverse. In other words, panentheism is pantheism, God is in nature, and all that exists in the natural world is inside, within, contained by God, who is or which is all of that and more. And these two parts of panentheism are called God-immanent, not imminent as about to happen, but immanent, meaning contained within, and God-transcendent. God-immanent, divinity, the one life, is in every seemingly separated thing, and God-transcendent, every one of those seemingly separated, unique things is within God and more. God imminent and transcendent, both of those things are true in panentheism, whereas the old pantheism is just God in nature. Now, there's a lot there, but again, we've just begun to scratch the surface. I'm going a little longer than the 20 minutes I promised, but we're going to podcast this part out. And again, visit our primary website, theagelesswisdom.com, to register for the extended program. I'll carry on here. And then we're going to do a second program on top of it as well. So altogether, you get about 90 minutes with the premium program. So... For the podcast people, thanks very much for being here and for listening. I'd love to get some feedback from you. If you want to write to me, email me at mb, my initials, mb at theagelesswisdom.com. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Los Angeles, this is Michael Benner. So long.